This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Good morning, everybody. You're listening to Her Vantage here on BFM 89.9, The Business Station, and I'm Lily Chai. According to 2021's data, women who are working in tech have reached 35%. But as this number increases, are there still biases and challenges that women face in science, tech and innovation? How can we encourage more girls to participate in science and tech? We are here to uncover this with Zulera Abubakar, who is the CEO of Maranti, Malaysian Research Accelerator for Tech and Innovation. Welcome to the show, Zulera. Thank you for having me. Let's talk a little bit about you. You were an investment manager at VC firms for more than 12 years. And then you moved to become uh, the CEO of uh, Cradle Seat Ventures. But you graduated with a law degree, right? So investment and law, they're really linked in some way. But at the same time, not really, right? So who or what influenced you in taking that step into business? Hmm. Well, speaking of law degrees and how I started, um, I was quite fortunate to have done a law degree. In hindsight, it's one of those degrees that actually gives you uh, a sort of broad base foundation into most career path. Uh, a legal background, an ability to look at things um, and dissect it from a legal perspective uh, has helped me through my career, for sure, especially in investments. And as an investment manager, as you, as you said it, uh, I spent a lot of time reading legal documentations. Right. You have term sheets, you have shareholders agreements, you have subscription agreements. So I think my training helped me sort of skip the process with the lawyers, <laughs> I mean, simply put. So that's definitely a, a very strong correlation between my undergraduate uh, and, of course, what I ended up doing and what I'm doing today. Mm. And of course, my, my path into business and tech essentially came through my jobs. I started with a tech company. Not many people know about the tech company. It is actually It was actually a government agency. We were in the business of um, launching satellites. Right. Yeah, um, Early days, uh, we were actually the first Malaysian agency to actually send up a remote sensing satellite. And uh, we actually launched launched the satellite through SpaceX at the mm. time. So it was a very, very exciting journey for me as a young executive. So I was doing both the legal documentation as well as business development. So that was somewhat my entry into the tech scene. Mm. And then after that, I got into venture capital, which was, uh, you know, no looking back from there. Venture capital, private equity. I also spent some time in civil society. And then obviously back to the tech scene. And I also worked with social enterprises. So it's it's been quite a journey. Right. Yeah. So VC firms, private equity for the longest time, right? So when you first entered the VC market, was it a female-friendly and well, female-welcoming time? Because even now, there are not many females in v, uh, as VCs, even when we watch Shark Tank, right? It's just one or two females. And it was found that women, women account less than 15% of the check writers in VC firms. So what was it like for you at that time, 12 years ago? That's a very unfortunate statistic, but 
it is the reality right now, right? Uh, I was, again, quite fortunate. Um, at the time when I joined Venture Capital, I joined a government agency, which is the Malaysian Venture Capital uh, Management Barhat. Look, um, MAFCAP was it pretty much incorporated to train Malaysian um, investment professionals to become VCs. Uh, so I think that was a fantastic platform. Uh, and uh, we also had the opportunity of looking at direct investments at the same time becoming fund managers. Mm. So it was an entity which is still there with an intent to develop these sort of talent and skill sets in the market. And uh, I was quite fortunate because uh, when I joined the entity at the time, they were probably three or four female investment managers already there okay. uh, at the time. So that sort of set set the tone for me as well. Uh, I fortunately was not the only, I wasn't the only woman in, in MathCap at the time. So there were many other sort of investment managers as well. So they sort of helped me through. Mm. Uh, but what's still apparent today is that we don't have enough fund managers who are ladies, right? They are even not until now. Until, even until today. I don't think there are many. Uh, in fact, I think in Malaysia, we we don't even have a handful really, right? right? So they're mainly um, male-led in that sense. But I think this is a global phenomenon. Yeah. Uh, but there are multiple reasons for it. There are multiple reasons for it. I think it's also the way uh, people perceive female investors, right? Because to be an investor, you first need to raise capital. Yeah. Right? And in order to raise capital, there's, again, biases that come into play, which I think many women out there, me included, were trying to fight this. Mm. We've seen some progress, but like I said, unfortunately, it's not good enough. Right. Yeah. Even uh, startups as well, it's it's found that, you know, uh, female-founded startups are less likely to get funding than male-founded startups. And why is it still a boys club? <sighs> yeah. Again, I think it's around how female in business is perceived. Uh, I think there's a lot of biases around how women run businesses, around how um, women, you know, manage things. Yes. So there is a bit of reluctance, which is really misplaced, I feel, and I believe, <laughs> uh, in the way um, uh, female run things or, or women manage businesses. Um, but but I think this this sort of biases needs to, to change. People need to be more open-minded and uh, you need to look at results. You need to look at the statistics. Data should speak for itself. I think there are many reports around the world to state that female-led businesses contribute to higher profits, mm. higher revenues, better market acceptance, and in fact, better positioning of products in the market. Mm. So I think a female's perspective is very, very important in design, UX, UI, you know, user interface as we say mm. it. Again, it goes back to the way we're physiologically designed, <laughs> right? So uh, you pay attention to things that look good. Um, you're more aesthetically sort of uh, wired mm. in that sense. And that makes a lot of difference in the way products are placed in the market, right? So I think this, this perspective, this entire perspective should change about how women are involved in businesses. Mm. But we are looking at more and more women starting up businesses, mm. right? You have, even in Malaysia, we have many female founders which, who are doing really, really yeah. well. And they've been, you know, for lack of a better word, 
selling stuff which are not very sophisticated but doing really well, right? I mean, these are basic necessities from beauty products to uh, clothing lines to shoes, apparels. And these are catered to both gender, male and female, mm. and they're doing really well. But the question here, or what we are trying to push at Maranti, is women in tech, of course. Right. right? So we want to get more women in tech. We want to encourage more female researchers mm. to look at research and development, right? right? To, to enter the path of becoming a researcher. Mm. But again, we have many women who've done that. Right in Malaysia, and we we just need to increase I, the numbers. Yeah, I guess a lot of them go unrecognized as well. But I want to talk about you. You moved to again. You were a CEO at Magic, which is now merged with uh, Technology Park Malaysia and hence Maranti. Yeah. Right. <coughs> so, um, what was it? What was the quality that Maranti was looking for that you had at that time for you to be able to be CEO? There was a lot of thinking around why the two entities needed to be merged in the first yes. place. One thing for sure, it started from thinking what needs to be done with mm. Technology Park Malaysia, the entity before Maranti, right? So Technology Park Malaysia has been around for 26 years, was incorporated in 1996. And I keep telling everyone this, in 1996, when Technology Park was incorporated, we were ahead of time. We were ahead of most countries around mm. us, right? We were pretty much the first science park in the region. But what happened? Right? What happened? I know there were a lot of um, investments that were made to the entity and there were a lot of great people before me who have led the entity. However, I think somewhere along the way, we sort of lost, or Technology Park Malaysia in that sense, sort of lost their way in terms of what it was actually set out to do. Lost relevance, um, accumulated um, legacy issues, if you know, if you like. And again, with a park as big as 600 acres, there's a lot of maintenance. There's a lot of work to upkeep the park. Mm. So if if attention is not given, if if it's not managed well, then it would it would cease to sort of function, mm-hmm. and also uh, it will not be able to actually achieve its fullest potential. So then the whole discussion about what do we do with Technology Park Malaysia? Do we shut it down? What do we do? Do we inject more capital? Then we realised, or Mosti at the time realised, which was led by the, with the minister at the mm-hmm. time in 2020, realised that it needed soul, right? So the park, the infrastructure, the facility needed soul, which was sorely lacking. So coming back to magic, right? We had done a lot of things. Um, I took over from two other CEOs who had done amazing work mm-hmm. before me, who had set the tone as well. Uh, but I also came into magic at a time that was uh, quite tricky. It was also at a time where people were questioning what the relevance of magic was. You know, do we need to shut magic down? Is it just an event organization? Mm-hmm. Um, what has it done for the tech community? But fortunately, we managed to prove our stakeholders wrong and, you know, sort of elevate the relevance of magic. So I think in terms of content, in terms of infrastructure for the tech ecosystem community, we've done it really well. Mm -hmm. So the soul of the tech ecosystem was pretty much with magic. So the idea was to merge the soul, content, infuse it into 
the park. Essentially taking content and plugging it into an infrastructure. Right. So that was this the sort of entire concept of the merger of the two entities. Of course, there was another sort of underlying mandate that sort of uh, brought the merger together, which was a technology commercialization accelerator in itself. So the whole purpose behind the TCA mandate was to improve the country's commercialization mm-hmm. rate. So, I mean, speaking of women in tech, in R&D, in research, in science, we were not seeing enough of both genders, of right. course, right? Both genders? Both genders, right? We were not seeing enough of our researchers commercializing their products, right? right? So a lot of the research, a lot of the R&D were still stuck in the university, Right, So we needed a platform to take what was done, all the great work that's being done in the university, we needed a platform to actually elevate, get them out and bring them out to market. Because a lot of the work that's being done in the university right now, there's an apparent use case in the market. Hmm. What it needs is a bridge, a bridge to bring both sort of universe together, the market as well as the research and the academia, Hmm. right? So the TCA was incorporated to do exactly that. And the fact that we've actually built all this network through Magic, we've worked with multiple corporates, both international and local, Mm -hmm. sort of gave us that edge. So when they thought about which entity could do this best, obviously Magic came out, you know, first in that sense. And um, well, I think uh, everyone knows that the, the team at Magic stood out in some way or form because of their energy, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, they had great energy. They interacted well with the tech community. Everyone knew the team at Magic. So like I said, it's really about getting the soul into the entity. Right. I really love that. Okay. I, I do want to discover, you know, the challenges in terms of Malaysian science and technology, not yeah. just solely, you know, female, but yeah. both genders, as you mentioned. Uh, but it's time for us to head into some messages, but don't go anywhere. I'm here with Zulera Abu Bakar. She's the CEO of Maranti. So do stay with us here on BFM 89.9. Fearless Malaysians, BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Listening to her vantage here on BFM 89.9, the business station. I'm Lily Chai. I'm here with Zulera Abu Bakar, the CEO of Maranti. Maranti is the Malaysian, the Malaysian Research Accelerator for Tech and Innovation. Before the break, we're talking about a bit about her background and uh, why VC is still a voice club and essentially how she got into uh, Mar- magic and which is now merged with a technology park Malaysia called Maranti. So what are the biggest challenges in terms of Malaysian uh, science, tech and innovation on a regional and a global scale? You did mention that uh, we are ahead of time, right, Uh, compared to uh, the countries in our region and in the world as well. But what is the setback for us in terms of Malaysian innovation? We were ahead of time at one point. Um, unfortunately, we are playing the catch-up game now. Right? Mm. So, so I think that that's one thing that we all need to pay attention to. What happened in between? <laughs> uh, it's, it's a very complex assessment, I believe, because um, it's not to say that they were not, or the science scene or you know, science and tech scene were not given the necessary support, funding, 
they were given. But somehow, I think there was there was not much focus on R and D per se. I feel uh, at one point we were really focused on platform driven entities or startups. Uh, content aggregators, as opposed to looking at research and development in core areas, uh, areas that would be life changing, whether it's healthcare, uh, whether it's E and E for that matter. So yeah, that's one. Mm-hmm. And the other thing is a lot of the activities that have been happening over the past couple of years have been in the shadows for lack of a better word, right? So me, perhaps it's also a function of not sort of marketing what we've done well enough, not promoting what we've mm. done well enough. So I, I I still believe that we have great talent sitting in our university everywhere, actually, even professional talent with great talent, especially in science and tech. Mm. But we also need to look at a platform that can bring this talent together, a platform that will allow these talent to shine, to to promote what they've done, to basically talk about, you know, uh, the good that can come from their technology. They don't know where to go to. They don't know where to go to. So it's also a function of having great ideas, knowing what to do, knowing what problems to solve, but not having the right resources Mm. to scale the idea. So which is why um, multiple entities were set up in that process, obviously. Um, And like I said, the government, the Malaysian government really has done a lot. If you compare towards with other countries around the world, I think the Malaysian government has actually spent a lot of resources and funding in helping the tech scene. But the problem is it's too fragmented, right? That is true. That is true. Uh, Fragmented in the sense that they are multiple entities Mm. at times doing the same thing. But again, I, I think the, the fragmentation is also a function of wanting to solve problems along the way, right? So we say, okay, you know what? We don't have support for early stage. Okay, we'll set up Entity A. Mm. Oh, by the way, we don't have an entity to sort of bring the community together. Okay, we set up Entity B. So I think what was probably lacking is a cohesive plan mm. in terms of how we can take the tech ecosystem forward. But we're getting there. But we're getting there. Over time, I think it's it's a trial and error. And as a function, we've actually even consolidated entities. So Maranti is one of those examples of reducing overlaps, right? So we remove that redundancy. Mm. So that's one example. So I think over time, you'll see more of that. Mm. So going back to the question of, you know, how are we competing against the region? I know in terms of our innovation rate, it's above average uh, in, in terms of the global scale. But how is it really in reality? The stats that we receive, you would have multiple sources to actually give you the stats about Mm. where we rank as far as innovation is concerned. But if you talk about the innovation, the Global Innovation Index, um, we've actually dropped three rungs uh, (laughs) last year. So we've got lots to do to sort of elevate our innovation Mm. index. Again, this innovation index is a function of a lot of things, right? It's infrastructure, it's funding, readiness of the environment, market access, etc. So there are multiple ways to look at this. But I mean, the easiest way to look at how innovative a country is, is to look at the number of tech companies that are coming out of the country, Mm. right? So if we can raise the number of locally produced technology and entities that actually promote locally produced technology, I think that's a key indicator of where we are as far as 
uh, a country that promotes technology is concerned, right? And I believe that is what you are trying to do now at Muranti. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. So let's go back to the fundamental, I guess, is the education for girls and women. So what are the things that need fixing in our education system that can attract more female students, girls to embark on STEM or STEAM? related courses because I remember when I was a girl back in high school it was 10 plus years ago I felt uh, I loved science so much but things were setting me back from embarking on science and technology is because I, I felt like I didn't have enough support in school and um, another thing is you know Students are really mean in the sense that they will stereotype students who are in science stream to be quote unquote nerds in that sense. Yeah. So, yeah. so, what can we do to attract more uh, students in that sense? And another way breaking that stereotype. So, I think things have evolved, <laughs> right? Uh, nerds are now cool people. Right. So, it's cool to be a nerd these days, right? Um, it's the nerds that are making lots and lots of money. <laughs> the tech startups they're all nerds Mm -hmm. Uh, so I think that should already tell you that uh, nerds have a future yeah Uh, but I think going back to your question around what can we do to sort of excite more girls Mm. to take up STEM courses or to be interested in science and tech I feel what's also very important is highlighting females that have done it in the past Right. Role models are very, very important. And as young girls, you would look up to role models. Mm. You want to learn from role models. You want to know how they've done it. So I yeah. think it's important to showcase uh, people who have done it in the past. Mm. That's one. And I think the other thing is science and technology needs to be positioned as something that will change the future. Right. So if you want to be part of something that would create real impact you need to be in science and tech, right? right? So science and tech really is, I think to me, is one of those things that are really life-changing, yeah? So, and this generation, the generation that we have today are driven by purpose, are driven by wanting to make change. Mm. So you need to look at science and technology as an avenue to make that change. Um, Of course, then interest needs to be there, then support at school needs to be there, uh, as well as infrastructure to support Hmm. um, the young talents to get into into the space. And of course, to make it interesting, right? Whether it's experimental or whether it's a fun learning environment. Uh, We have something called the Maker's Lab, where you're allowed to sort of tinker, Hmm. build stuff, 3D print stuff, You know, and and sort of just experiment what works and what doesn't. Uh, that that those kind of environments would actually develop interests. So again, it's also a function of resources and you know, hmm. for schools, especially especially public schools, because some public schools even struggle with basic infrastructure. Right. So things like a maker's lab or a science lab is a nice to have, right? Hmm. But I think that's where we're getting it wrong. Infrastructure such as this must be a must-to-have. Yeah. As opposed to nice-to-have, it is something that needs to be perceived as a need. So until and unless that changes, we're not going to see much movement in terms of interest picking up in STEM. It's exposing them to the possibilities that are out there instead of limiting them to just the textbook knowledge. Correct. Right? But what is Maranti doing in, for education? 
Yeah, so again, we don't focus on early stage education, but what we try and do is enculturation. So like I mentioned earlier, the maker's lab, mm. so to speak, is one way. But again, what we're also interested to look at and support is really the STEM talent in academia. Uh, what can we do to sort of encourage them mm to develop products and services, to develop technology, to actually pursue that area, whether it's, like I said, healthcare, bioscience, biomedical, um, E&E, you know, all of these areas for that matter. Mm. And it's important to, to, to show the younger generation that there is a path forward, right? Uh, so they know that if I pursue STEM, then this is my career path. Right. It's very important for us to show that. And I think there's also another issue about reducing number of engineers for that matter, right? Engineers, right. yes. So we don't have, many do engineering degrees, but they don't end up becoming engineers, engineers. Right. right? Whether it's civil engineering, E&E, aerospace. It's got to do with, with how the market is perceived for engineers, Again, how they are paid, um, what mm. the job market looks like for right. engineers. So, that, I mean, there are multiple things to sort of encourage more and more people to get into STEM. So we've got to, to fix how the industry looks at STEM talent as well, mm. and especially local STEM talent. Because uh, for a fact, we know that many international companies want to be based out of Malaysia to tap into our local talents. Right? Because we have great talent sitting in our academia, for sure. Yeah, but I guess a lot of them choose to look outwards because of the pay as well, right? They're not compensated enough for the job that they're doing and which eventually leads to the brain drain that we are, uh, yeah. that we are experiencing now. Um, so besides that, right, there is a general uh, outlook of what you're trying to do. But what about shifting the needle to, uh, for equity in science and technology? It's a function of providing the right resources and also providing the right platform because um, it is really a function of who can get what, mm. right? So access is also very important. Students in the rural community may not have the same access that students have in the urban setting, Correct. for example. Um, schools, right? Urban schools may have better infrastructure and better facilities mm. than rural schools and that in itself would set them apart already. So I think there's also a question of how do we actually reduce that gap in terms of what a rural student gets versus what a, an urban student gets, right? Even urban students have disparity as well because they are going towards international schools, they have different infrastructure and uh, facilities for students to learn things, right? Absolutely, absolutely. So it becomes even worse for mm. students in the rural areas, Right. right, so that the disparity, that gap becomes wider, mm. and I think the challenge is how do we actually elevate, or what's the level playing field in that sense? Mm. Will we even achieve that? One way of looking at it is to encourage grassroots innovation. Uh, we've got many entities, and we've also got programs within Ranti and also other entities that are doing stuff at the grassroots level. And like I said, it may not be sophisticated in nature, but it's also educating the rural community about what innovation is, what innovation can mean for them, mm -hmm. and how do you think innovatively. So it's really about awareness and giving them basic tools to innovate. So that's a good starting point. Mm -hmm. That's a good starting point. The challenge is really bridging the gap.
Mm. Okay, let's ask you a more a more personal question. You've been in this industry for the longest time, right? Have you experienced any biases up until this point, right? And how are you overcoming them? The unfortunate thing is biases exist. And it's very subtle. But when you pay attention to it, you know it's there. How do you overcome it is by not paying attention to it. Uh, I don't believe in limiting yourself by way of gender. And I strongly encourage women to not box themselves up, you know, um, that this is what you shouldn't be doing. This is what you should be doing. No, I, I, I think intelligence um, or what you're doing or what you can do should never be limited by your gender. But along the ways, there will be people telling you you can't do this or you, yeah. you're not supposed to be doing this and this is not how you should do this. Oh, you know, <laughs> simple statements like, oh, maybe because she's a woman. Even if you have achievements, right? You, you got it because you did something that a woman can do. Correct. <laughs> Correct. Correct. So I, 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 so the positives and, and negatives <laughs> to these things, it's, it's a way you perceive things. Mm. And, uh, and I actually don't think it will go away. Uh, it's really about a mindset shift. It's really about perspectives. It's, it's, it's really about acceptance that it's not about gender. It should never be about gender. So I guess bri bridging the gender gap in science, technology and innovation, um, it, it's not just one sector's responsibility. It's not just Morandi's responsibility right. to do that. Uh, it should be everyone's, right? Uh, even from families and including men as well. Um, and I love the saying of, you know, men should be our allies instead of our enemies. Absolutely. And what can we do moving forward? I, you kind of said it, right? So I think we need to bring everyone together. Right. Right? When you're talking about STEM in particular, your role models does not need to only be women. It can also be the men. So the men can mentor female researchers, for example. I think it happens in academia today, but it needs to be more, you right? Uh, we need to do more of this. We need to get everyone together and there needs to be education about the benefits of diversity. You're talking about research or development of products. Um, a diverse view or a diverse perspective, like I mentioned earlier, on a particular product or how it's perceived in the market will make a lot of difference as opposed to having just one point of view or one gender lens for that matter. So this diverse gender lens is absolutely critical and that should be across all industries. But I do think, I, quite frankly, I, I believe and I'm seeing that shift right now in mm. corporate Malaysia, even in Malaysia as a whole, as a society, I think the men are very supportive of the women these days. Although we have a long way to go in mm. terms of achieving that desirable state, but we've made progress. We've made progress. In fact, I, I keep saying this along the way in my career, I've had many male role models and many male mentors who have actually helped me, pushed me up in that sense. And I believe there are many more out there. Mm. It's about the constant nurturing Correct. of talent, regardless of their gender. Absolutely. On that note, thank you so much for spending time with me today, Zulera. Thank you, Lily. I was speaking to Zulera Abu Bakar, the CEO of Maranti, the Malaysian Research Accelerator for Tech and Innovation. If you missed any part of this show, you can go ahead on our website at bfm.my or the BFM app that is available on the Apple App Store and Google Play to listen to the full conversation. I'm Lily Chai and this has been Her Vantage here on BFM 89.9.
listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.